Welcome everybody to another episode of the Hockey Show Podcast. I'm Nick. I'm John. And we're back to talk another exciting week of NHL action. There's a lot to get into. This episode, just want to pretty much come out and say it's going to be pretty East heavy. Um, and that's because the West, you and I were discussing it before we hit record. The West is kind of where a lot of the tanks are happening this year. So, you know, we could talk about how good Calgary is or we could talk about how bad the Blues have been. Uh, but there's a lot more really going on, I'd say, with a lot of the East teams. Uh, and one of those teams that I think would be fun to discuss, to discuss, we actually talked about them at the end of last week's episode. That's the Ottawa Senators. You brought up, John, that it looks like they're going to be sold. And now we know somebody who might be interested in buying the franchise, and that is one Ryan Reynolds. Get, get ready to replace the goal lamp with a green lantern, because Ryan Reynolds has expressed interest in buying the team. Uh, to, why, why would to you get bring the... up green lantern? <laughs> Some people don't forget. Uh, <laughs> I, I pulled up the quote for him exactly. He was on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon and uh, specifically mentioned, I'm trying to buy, buy them. It's very expensive, so I need a partner with really deep pockets. It's called a consortium where you form a group to buy an entity, and it's a fancy way of saying, I need a sugar mommy or a sugar daddy. And if that doesn't happen, I'll buy a U.S. senator, which everyone can afford. First of <laughs> all, sir, this attack on our democracy by a foreign entity will not be tolerated. Eh, but, I'll allow it. <laughs> but yeah, the, it's, it's kind of exciting to see hockey end up in the headlines for something like that and for him to... Apparently, he has some roots in Ottawa. I didn't really... I knew he was Canadian. I didn't know he had a tie to Ottawa. But, yeah, could be fun. Yeah, I saw Wyshynski's article on ESPN, or or maybe he was just tweeting it. Either way, I saw Wyshynski uh, mentioned it, where, like, there's a street named after him there that I had no Apparently. idea. That that's, yeah, that's how deep the ties go. So it's not that crazy. For this to happen, we know, I mean, it's very famous, but they got, like, the reality show on FX. Uh, him and Rob McElhaney from It's Always Sunny own that European football team, so. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't watched it personally, but I've heard a lot of really good stuff about it. Yeah, I haven't as, as well. I, something that's on my watch list, like, I have Hulu, but I always forget that I have Hulu. You know, the streaming orders, <laughs> man, it's one hell of an experience. You have all of these services that I'm paying for, and I don't, I cannot, okay, I can recall, July was the last time that I actually went on Netflix for Stranger Things, so, okay. The one, the one good user experience there. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I keep track of the fact that I have Hulu based on, that's where I watch most of my hockey at. And then I would, you know, if I don't want to, watch a particular broadcast i can just utilize a vpn but that's a different story that's neither here nor there mm -hmm. uh the big thing that stood out to me with that is just if ryan reynolds is getting the team he has those ties to ottawa the team's definitely going to stay in ottawa so i bet a lot of people are really kind of put at ease for something like that yeah he is absolutely like the safest bet if he gets control of the team they stay in ottawa there's no if ands or buts about it like he is and i think he's made that clear i think he's kind of hinted at that as well of like wanting to purchase the team to keep them there 
Uh, but yeah, I, I hope he does buy it because I want Ottawa to stay in Ottawa. I, you know, I get the idea of relocation for a lot of these teams. I know there's attractive places to always put a team, but at the end of the day, I, I the Senators are the Senators, man. They should stay there, and uh, it would be cool for Ryan Ryan Wilds for Ryan Reynolds <laughs> to um to have that ownership. And like you said as well, like a positive spotlight on hockey, which later on in the show we're going to talk about the negative spotlight on hockey again, but. He would bring a positive to it. I think it would be fun, too. And could you also imagine him as a part of, like, any of these ownership meetings? <laughs> 31 white guys in their 70s and Ryan Reynolds go into a room. <laughs> I know! I'm just picturing him and Brian Burke in a room together. <laughs> like, imagine that. Oh, God, I need that. Like, that's why I really want this to happen. I forget the fact that it's Dude, good if if they do a welcome to Wrexham show, but for the senators, it, it needs to have a camera crew that just follows Brian Burke along with it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's not a ton of characters in hockey, but it, but the ones that they do have will gladly make plenty of content for that show, whether they know they're doing it or not. I also just need an interaction at some point between Ryan Reynolds and John Tortorella. <laughs> <laughs> There are so many people I just want, like, I need, like, this is, this is like finding out that Deadpool is coming in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's like, all people he could interact with now, like, he could meet Tom Holland Spider-Man. <laughs> like, it's, oh God. <laughs> like, it's, the, that's, that's what I need. That's why I need this. All right. So good for the sends. Fingers crossed. Hopefully a sugar daddy or sugar mama shows up for Ryan Reynolds. You know who might help him buy it? Who? Two guys, a girl in a pizza place. Why is this a joke I'm not getting? Because <laughs> he was in it, man. Two guys, a girl, and a pizza place? Yeah, he was in the show. I do not remember this show. <laughs> I remember him in one of my Halloween, or Halloween, one of my Christmas favorites, uh, Just Friends. Yeah, th that's... God, I can't remember the year for that one off the top of my head, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's 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 a little post um uh Van Wilder. Slightly oh god, that. Van Wilder. Yeah, I have not I thought mean, about that show for a very long or that movie for a very long time. Um, I bet it I aged great. Yeah, occasionally uh I, I I just will be sitting there and, and think about the chocolate eclair scene um and and just start chuckling out of nowhere like so i'll just be having lunch somewhere and then i'll be like eh, remember the time that they sent the eclairs to the frat bros that was funny. do you do you often think about the frat guy that spent a very long time in college <laughs> it, Wilder, of course yeah, is who we're yeah, talking yeah, about yeah yeah lots of people go to college for seven years so the Flyers, uh, I was watching last week after we recorded, I was watching the Rangers and the Flyers game and something struck me about the game that I, I, I was like, it seems very vicious. It seems a little extra. Uh, and, and it really seemed like the Flyers were being extra. A lot of penalties in the game. And then the next and then the next night. I saw again the Flyers playing the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, had another game that was very chippy, very physical very dirty and i texted you and i was saying like i think john tortorella's got the flyers thinking that they're the broad street bullies or something because they seem to just be taking wax at players uh they went after fox in the ranger game matthews in the toronto game so it's not like they're trying to fight like the ryan reeves of the team they're going for the superstar players so that kind of struck me and 
I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. I kind of wanted to discuss that. Have you seen any of that with the Flyers? Yeah, Have you watched yeah. the Flyers? I, I've watched a little bit of Flyers this year, not a ton of it, but from from the, what you've kind of described, it very much sounds like a John Tortorella type of team. You know, if, if you're getting a scrap with Ryan Reeves, take him on the ice. No offense to Ryan Reeves. Please don't hurt me. I'm not Tom Wilson. Uh, yeah, you know, you're taking him off the ice. you got to be pretty low on the Flyers food chain for that exchange to work out. Whereas if you get Adam Fox in the box for a minute... Uh, or you get Austin Matthews in the box for a little bit, then, you know, this scrum or fight or whatever comes of it is something that really ends up paying dividends for your team. Uh, I did look at some numbers for what the team has been like through uh, their 11 games, six wins. Uh, you would expect a Broad Street type bullies to be or Broad Street Bullies type team to be pretty up there as far as penalty minutes go. They're sixth in the league in penalty minutes right now. And I feel like we've had enough games that we can start to draw some conclusions, start to extrapolate a little. Uh, not surprising at all for a John Tortorella team. Where do you think they rank in blocked shots? Probably top five. Second. Only okay. the only the Golden Knights have more than that. Uh, surprisingly, in hits, they are 16th. They are right in the middle with that. The Caps, of all people, are leading the league in hits. Interesting. Which, yeah, that jumped out to me. That jumped out to me as being a little bit different. Uh, but for for what, what that team is made up of, uh, since they've almost never really been a team with the really high-flying goal-scoring types, uh, you know this is just kind of what a Philadelphia crowd wants out of a team in general is someone that's going to grind it out, play really physical and more than likely win by a score of three to two rather than a score of five to one. Yeah, they, I mean, well, that's how they've been. That's how they've won a few of their games. That's why they've definitely over exceeded the start of the season. Cause they've pulled out a few of those scrappy wins, which you're right. That's a, that's a Tortorella team. We, we both, we both, me as a Rangers fan, you living in Columbus, we both experienced Tortorella teams. They pull out points and wins that you go, nah, you definitely should not have earned anything in that game. You were outplayed all the way, but you're second in the league in block shots for a reason. Yeah, and, um, and, and, and something like that can have so many ripple effects to it right now. Uh, Carter Hart, who hasn't always been at the top of his games necessarily has a 946 save percentage which is to me is absolutely insane yeah he's he's listen he's a good goalie but no goalie is 946 save percentage consistently yeah the, no goalie. i i i wanted to compare it to give some context to that number and uh the record for uh, save percentage over a season with a minimum of 25 games played. Uh, Jacques Plante had a 944. So you have to ask yourself a little bit, you know, is Carter Hart up there with the Dominic Hasek 1999 Sabres with a 937 save percentage over the course of the entire year? Uh, you know, it remains to be seen. I'm not crazy optimistic that he's capable of doing that. 
But when you're second in the league and block shots, that's only going to help them. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's good defense always yields good goaltending. Uh, I mean, that's why Marty Brodeur won so many games. I hate to say, you know, Marty Brodeur is a good goalie, but you have Scott Stevens in front of you know, forget about it. Like, just forget about it. You yeah. put a stack defensive front. So yeah, these guys blocking shots, it's absolutely helping him, but it really is just a question of how long until the goaltending levels out. And once the goaltending levels out, it's going to be a little bit harder for the Flyers. But, you know, looking at the numbers, I guess that kind of does answer my question. They are kind of playing a little bit of that bully hockey. They are a little more, you know, you know, you know, if you could play a disciplined game, because really the Matthews thing, and actually we could talk about that for a second, because I did see some takes that I did not like. And a couple of them were the former players who were like, like, uh, not Barnaby, but, uh, Shaw and them, uh, talking about how Matthews started to engage and then didn't fight and all of this. Like, I don't understand the hate that Matthews is getting from that game. Cause I felt that Matthews was getting the, again, he was getting pretty assaulted out there. Nothing was happening. And then he gave a couple shoves back. And that's when it was like, oh, we're going to fight. We're going to fight. And Austin Matthews is never going to fight. That's not his style. No. You know, like, no, absolutely not. It, if, if Austin Matthews gets in a fight, the first thing he's hearing from his coach when he gets back to the bench is, what the hell did you do that for? Because yeah. a guy like Matthews, he's just too valuable to his team. If, yeah. if you if you get in a particular situation where you absolutely have to defend yourself, that's the only way a player like that that should end fighting. Is that the the trade off of having him in the box for five minutes is not worth whatever you think getting out of having a fight with somebody. And that's the thing is that I felt that what he did, the little pushing, the little shoving, the little stick whack of like. Hey, I see you. I feel you. I know you're there. Like, F off. Yeah. Was him defending himself to the level that he would. That's what I expect from a player like that. It's it's like watching Panarin throw a glove at Brad Marsh. He's not dropping the gloves, but he'll throw a glove at him. That's fine. That's expected. I don't, you know, like, that's that's defending yourself. That's what you do. Those guys do not drop gloves. God forbid they drop the gloves. Not only is it five minutes they're out of there, but one wrong fall. That's all it takes. One one punch. One one punch to the cheekbone. Broken, broken hand. That's all it takes. And then Austin Matthews is out for three months, four months, five months, you know. Season-ending exactly. injury or something. Career and yeah. career to find injury. And, and and if we're talking about the impact of having him in the box for five minutes, imagine the impact of having him out for an entire game or an entire week or entire month's worth of games because he did something stupid in a fight. I mean, if it's not something that you're used to doing, and if you're expecting the superstars to throw down on that, that's some 90s level of thinking with a bygone era of hockey you know because it, yeah. it did as long as you and i have been alive stars like that have never fought that much no i only remember i think i've seen gretzky drop the gloves once i can never remember when super mario ever fought definitely not yeah yeah that's that's a like you know i, I know i saw messier drop the gloves 
uh, maybe a handful of times. But yeah, those 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 skill level of the players. You know, Brett Hull. I can never I can never remember Brett Hull dropping gloves. Absolutely. So, yeah, that, that that's and, and, the level of player to not do that. And they have people on their team to do that for them. It used to be that way that if you know. You're running around being a little jerk just because Ty Domi's on your team. Well, Marty McSorley's going to run up to you and have something to say about it. And then, you know, as things progress beyond the 90s, then it would just be Ty Domi fights Marty McSorley. And then we don't really see that much outside of it after that. So that's why that entire role of the pugilist, of the, uh, you know, the fighting guy has kind of gone, you know, the way of the dodo in this league. Yeah, and, and the game has changed as well. It's a much more skilled game. It's a much more, you know, a quicker pace. So that that level of that aspect of the game is starting to go bye-bye. You know, it's still there. I'm, I am I think you and I differ in our stance of banning fighting in hockey. I, you know, still believe that it's something that should be there. I like some of the precautions they've taken. I like the I, I like the idea of having to keep the helmet and stuff on to protect the head and things like that. But I do think it is something that and and you've played the game too, John. But like it's kind of a game that really starts to build. And sometimes I feel like that is the best way to relieve all of the tension because if you don't get that moment out, it could lead to dirtier plays and stuff like that like it builds into other things if you don't just allow people to just throw a few punches yeah and and that's i'll never sit here and act like i don't get excited or watching a fight you know i'm not someone that's going to stand back here and you know nearly drop my monocle at the idea of two guys throwing down yeah i you know I grew up on the Red Wings Avalanche rivalry. I you you can't you don't have to convince me that fighting is fun or exciting. <laughs> My thing has just always been just as a concept. It's always kind of stood out as being a little unusual for it. And, but like it's, and that's and, and I and I don't really have like a this is more rhetorical than anything. But if we were sitting down if in some parallel universe where hockey doesn't exist and you and I were sitting sitting down to invent it. And we were talking about how we were going to put it on the ice and players were going to move, you know, the object to play around with sticks and all this sort of stuff. And I just sort of slid it. Oh, and guys are allowed to fight each other. You'd think I was insane. (laughs) I'd probably chuckle and be like, huh. And then I'd be like, well, you know. (laughs) Yeah. And and you can't fight in basketball. You can't fight in football. Well, I, you can cut it in baseball, but that's its own sort of thing. So, like, I've I've always kind of wondered that, like, if you were inventing hockey today, would you be insane to include rules for fighting in it? Or is fighting just something that kind of naturally comes about in a sport that doesn't have an out-of-bounds? I, I think that's where it is, and that's kind of... I think that's that's the better way of saying what I was trying to say, which is that it just... It's a sport that naturally progresses there, and if you don't allow it to go there, my fear is, because I've been in in certain games and situations where it doesn't happen, I feel it starts to come out in other places. Using of the stick, boarding, things like that. Things that I think are, you know, can be just as dangerous, but more so dangerous than if you just throw a couple punches and knock somebody to the ice and you're like, all right, that's it, we're done. Now we go, you know, yeah, you good, you good. Five minutes walk off as opposed to like, I now, you know, I didn't get to punch you, but now I'm going to try and 
run you from the numbers head first. Yeah, and there's always definitely been an argument to the idea that uh, that you know fighting can be a release valve for a little bit, but the counter argument to that has always been that college hockey doesn't have any fighting, and they seem to get by just fine. Granted, I. Granted, it takes some time to watch a college hockey game. It's a much chippier game with a lot more cheap shots and a lot of other things that guys can sort of get away with because it doesn't have that aspect to it. So not everything's necessarily better or worse. Some things are just different. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. So that's our thoughts about fighting. That was not on the docket today. Yeah, uh, it really was. I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm fine. I've always. Well, when you think of fighting, you think of the Philadelphia Flyers and their Broad Street Bullies ways, exactly. which feature Carter Hart, who's a goalie. And speaking of goalies, look at you. That's a better segue than whatever I was going to do. <laughs> Uh, I'm supposed to be the radio guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury broke a record this week. He, he is now the holder of the most shootout wins by a goalie. Uh, he has 62 of them, surpassing the previous record of 61 set by Hendrik Lundqvist. Nick, I'm sure you have a very well-measured and thought-out response to something like this happening. Oh, of course. This record never mattered. This is such a you know, great. You won, you, you, won a, you won a skills competition. Congratulations. Well, 62 um, of them, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, it's a cool feat. Uh, I know I jokingly as well said to you about this, like, imagine that you started playing the game at 19. Uh, you're still playing into your late 30s. You've got like five years on, on the other goalie that you now just passed, uh, which really just goes to speak as well to Henrik Lundqvist and what he did in his time. Um, and, and kind of always to remember how goalies, those records with goalies and those number with goalies, how impressive some of them are these days. Cause Marguerite Fleury is a bit of an anomaly with the being a goalie drafted and starting right. Like you do not see that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at Spencer yeah. Knight. I'm still waiting for Spencer Knight to be the starter in Florida. And that's, you know, he's going to be like 24 by the time that comes. Um, yeah. No, like, Henry- congratulations to Flurry. Like, it's a cool, cool, you know, he's a dude that you like cheering for. He's not a bad guy. Yeah. And, and and as a guy who saw his team lose out on a cup based on facing Marc-Andre Fleury, I, I don't have a problem with him. Uh, worth mentioning, Henrik Lundqvist played for 15 seasons, 887 games played, 61 of those shootout wins. Marc-Andre Fleury currently in his 19th season, 949 games, which is so close to that 1,000 game mark. Holy crap. Yeah, when's the last time you heard of a goalie playing a thousand games? It doesn't happen. I uh, maybe Ed Belfour? Like you have to go maybe. that far back. I feel like you have to go to like the eighties in order to find that because that is just unheard of. And and yeah. for how long? And like and that's the other thing. He is starting to look like Mark about that, where it's like, Oh, is he finally cooked? Nah, flower's looking like flower again. Yeah, uh, he, he's, he's still got it. <laughs> he's so he really is looking like Mark on garbage, and we're like, that's it, the end of Flurry. And then he's like, no, 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 I'm still a Vesna. Remember, I won a Vesna two years ago, <laughs> right? Because I'm still that guy. Yeah, um, and, and and I don't know if he'll make it to a thousand games just because it's so tough for a goalie to yeah. because goalies don't play 60, 70 games a year anymore. 
So you you would probably need another two or three seasons to get him there. Yeah, and as the starter as well, like he can't be yeah. the backup. He's got he's got to remain the starter at least play in those like forty to fifty games a year. I mean, but hey, listen, if he keeps playing it the way he's playing this year, he's going to put a nice dent in that, and then Soda brings him back there, like Arizona or somebody like that that'll need a goalie or something for a season. And you know that's a donation you can go sign with, knowing that you'll be moved to a contender at the deadline. Yeah, which um, it, which was kind of his thought process when he played Chicago for a bit. There. Yeah, yeah, and that's how he's ended up in Minnesota now, where uh, you know playing on a good Minnesota team that is, uh, you know, probably going to make the playoffs. You know, I know, I know, it's only November, but, he, but I'm he's out that. there. It it wouldn't be unheard of, especially when you have a record-setting goaltender. And speaking of records being set. Another Ooh. one got broken this last week. Uh, uh, how Alex do you feel Ovechkin? about this? Is really the it, it was bound to happen. I, you know, you, you, you love to Gordy Howe be re- remembered for something, and he probably always will be. So he doesn't necessarily need to have every record there ever was. But Alexander Ovechkin scored goal number seven hundred and eighty-seven which puts him past Gordie Howe for the most goals with a single franchise, which is a fun little caveat to that phrase because you, you always go back to Gretzky, you know, did it for multiple teams. You think of Lemieux, who, you know, was with the one team but had some, you know, health issues. Yeah. So it, and it's funny to think that when if you had to guess what year Gordie Howe set this record, what would you tell me? Um... Probably, what, when was his last year with Detroit? Well, that, that would be the same year, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, <laughs> he said it, 1971. Okay. Wow. That's how long that record's been there, which is insane. Uh, that but is he took, considering. Even more insane, takes a couple years off, goes to the WHA and plays in Houston with his sons on the same line. And then, you know, plays for the Whalers for a bit, and the Whalers get acquired by the NHL, and he plays his last season there in 1980. Uh, so, yeah, so Gordie Howe's entire career record is just all, all the more insane considering he played for another six seasons of meaningful competitive hockey. Uh, so Ovechkin passes that for it, but what I thought was especially... Interesting is that they reached out to Mark Howe, Gordie Howe's oldest son, uh, and Mark Howe did not know the record existed. Really? He assumed that because it happened so long ago, someone else must have broken it by now or broken it. Wow. That is so so funny. So, wow. Imagine that. You're like, oh, dad still had a record? (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. Somebody finally broke it. We thought it was broken years ago. We thought Gretzky did it. We thought Messier might have done it. Like You know, when you have that many records, I'm sure it's difficult to keep track as well. It is. It is. I mean, listen, he was Mr. Hockey for a reason, right? But congratulations yes, to Ovi. Uh, I mean, that's cool. Uh, passing that, you know, it's just another record in, in what has been a Hall of Fame career for him. Him. Um, you know, speaking of Wyshynski earlier, I know he's got the article uh with weak, OB. weak transition. Weak transition. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just saying uh, go on about the record was broken by Alex Ovechkin, a big star. And speaking of stars, Star Watch <laughs> from ESPN. 
Yeah, okay. So you messaged me about this. I actually didn't get to watch, uh, I guess it was the Rangers-Bruins game. I didn't get to watch it that night. But ESPN does the Star Watch thing for their games. And I think I've seen this before. Like, I feel like they did it a little bit last year, but I feel like I've seen it as well. Like, when I've watched Ranger games, like, it was a big... There was one day they did the Adam Fox cam where you could just watch and they just focused in on the one player. Um, But they would do that for, like, shifts, right? Not for the necessarily the entire game. No, they did it for the entire game because... Oh, nice. Ranger Twitter was not Ranger Twitter not having it. Uh, they were not <laughs> a fan of it at all. Um, but I assumed it was kind of like that, where they like. So I would imagine in Bruins Rangers, like it was either Zabenejad or Panarin, uh, and then like Marchant or Bergeron. Yeah, I think it was Bergeron and Zabenejad for their game. I watched okay. the Boston Pittsburgh game and they okay. had one so 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 this is the way the feed is set up is that they they have the regular you know showing you the action of the game screen on the left and on the right there's two you know screens on top of them one has Crosby one has Marshawn if they're on the bench you can see them on the bench but everything else for it, you get to see every little thing that they're doing. They keep it zoomed out enough so you can kind of see where he is. And I thought it was just a super cool viewing experience. I wouldn't want to necessarily have this for every single game, but just the seeing the way the play's developing and then kind of looking back at seeing what Crosby or Marshawn are doing and where they're trying to position themselves and kind of watching that a little bit, I thought was really neat. The only real drawback for it is I'm focused on Marshawn Shand a whole bunch, and then a goal happens that has nothing to do with him, and then I just completely missed it. But that's why it's an alternative feed and not the standard issue sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, you know what? Like the way you describe this, like if I was a kid and I was watching that, like that sounds cool because if I'm watching Crosby and I'm like an eight-year-old kid or whatever, you know, chances are I, I I love Crosby. Like you get to see the way he plays the game. You're watching him and then you get to dissect it as a kid. Why is Crosby doing that? Why is Crosby going there? Oh, look at him doing that. And then you mimic it. And, you know, listen, you know, kids are always going to mimic their favorite players. Uh, it's why when I played baseball, I was able to recreate the batting stance of all of my favorite players. Cause you, you try to learn how to play like them. You see them do it. You want to mimic it. Uh, so that, that sounds really cool. Like if I was a kid as an adult, I probably would get bored with it really quick because I, you know, okay, cool. I don't, like you said, it, the plays at one corner and I'm got this camera though. That's focused on like the left point but the plays in like down behind the net and the right, right boards. It's like, okay, like I'd rather be watching play in the corner as opposed to just, Oh, Bergeron's waiting. He's just waiting. (laughs) He's waiting. He's waiting to see what happens over there. And he's still waiting. And it's, (laughs) it's, it's definitely a dual screen experience. Like you have to be able to kind of divide your attention between the three of them, which is not nearly as easy as I make it out to be. Uh, but it's just the fact that they're doing something to try to market the stars, the fact that they're 
doing something to kind of put the spotlight on some people in particular, I was really excited to just see him trying to do something a little bit different. And it yeah. wasn't the worst idea as far as something to do with it, because I've had people at hockey games seeing it live that are trying to take in everything all at once and say, hey, just watch that guy skate. Just watch this guy do this. I did that once at a Blue Jackets game against Nashville. Somebody was with me. I said, just watch P.K. Subban. Watch the way he skates. Look at him skate backwards and tell me this isn't the coolest thing you've ever seen. So I think focusing in on individuals like that can be a really cool thing, even if it's just a casual fan flipping through it, potentially. Yeah, if I'm a casual fan and I see that, or or if I'm not a hockey fan and I see that, I feel like it it kind of would be like the Manning cast for the uh, football games that ESPN does, where it's like, I'll stop on this, I'm intrigued by this, it's a cool concept, but at the end of the day, how like just how long will it keep my attention? Because me as a diehard hockey fan, I'm kind of like, all right, I I I. If I'm going to watch a game, I kind of don't need to just watch the star cam. Like, the stars are going to do things. I'm going to see them. (laughs) But but it's offering something cool. It's offering something a little bit different for it. And uh, and I think that opens up the idea of other alternate feeds you had. You mentioned the Manning cast. I always thought it would be really cool to have two players doing commentary for a game that are just talking about it like actual players. All the profanity, all of the, you know, this would be, you know, a premium feed, of course. But, you know, having something like that would just be like a really cool, different way to kind of see something for the game like that. And I and it makes me really excited at the fact that ESPN is doing these alternative streams or just trying something a little bit different with it. Because it makes me it it's exactly what I hoped ESPN would be like as the rights holder, rather than TNT yeah. that just kind of copied and pasted the NBC sports broadcast and called it a day. Yeah, um, ESPN has crushed this. TNT has not been good in their yeah. coverage of hockey, but um, I could just see it now. Like if you if you do something like the Manning cast with hockey, you're either going to get like the most boring thing ever because hockey players are pretty boring or like, just go put the Sedin brothers there and let those two just BS. Like maybe it's gold. Maybe it is, but I don't know. I I mean, listen, I thought the Manning, well, I mean, to be fair, we actually all all kind of had a feeling it would be good because they hosted SNL and showed some comedy chops, but exactly even just but but like thinking of another person that hosted snl but even if they stick gretzky in there that's gonna be a very boring boring yeah it has to be someone that is recently retired and not that far removed from it because as cool as it was hearing gretzky sometimes on tnt he's also talking about a game that happened 30 years ago i mean it, it just isn't as relevant to what's happening now i mean so what you get like ryan callahan and uh who who else is PK Subban? PK Subban. There you go. No, there you go. Those two. That's actually Subban would probably be good. He's a bit of a character. Yeah, Subban would be good at anything involving TV, though. He's exceptionally charismatic. Quid that just isn't most hockey players. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. but just, even just, just watch out on the red carpet. He'll slew for you. Yeah. The, the the two biggest things that always stood out to me from watching ESPN last year 
and what they did with the game. There was one game really early on in the season where they said uh, they're doing something where they're just cutting out all the commentary. It was called like Sounds of the Game or something like that. It was a segment to where just like from one whistle to another, they just weren't going to talk. And they, you know, announce it that way. And they play, and you just hear everything with the skates, every, you know, noise the players make, every, you know, think noise the puck makes as it bounces off of boards. It was a really cool thing. Again, of them just trying something a little bit different. If it doesn't work, it doesn't need to be a staple of every broadcast going forward. It's not the end of the world. And then the other thing that always drove us nuts watching on NBC Sports, and I'm sure this stood out to you too, is there's never a shot counter. Yeah. You spend all you spend all this time getting to see that on your local broadcast, and then they go and put it on national TV, and it's objectively worse when you don't have that quick indicator of how the game's going. And yeah. I felt like ESPN listened, and I can't 100% remember if they put it in for all ESPN broadcasts, but it was de definitely there on the Star Watch. So just the fact it was such a change in tone to know that ESPN would be willing to listen to fans, they'd be willing to put something there that NBC wasn't, and it just, it's been, I think it's worked out great so far. Yeah, I, I I have like the ESPN partnership. That's where I do my watching of all the games. And who's this podcast affiliated with again? Uh, ESPN Radio. So there we go. There's my there's I've, my there's my plug. Um, I yeah. genuinely forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure you did. Um, all right, uh, let's get into um, the final big news story of the week. Uh, the one that we've been saving for the very very end, and that is. Boston Bruins suck. Uh, not as a team. They're actually really good this year, but uh, front office-wise, they suck. Uh, they proved they have really, I don't know what the hell they were thinking, but the Boston Bruins sign Mitchell Miller, um, controversial player. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, and then not long after signing him, uh, realized that this was a a bad idea when their players, their fans, and everybody went, what the hell you did like this? And then they announced that they are going to parting, be parting ways with Mitch Miller uh, and voiding his contract. Uh, also, before all that happened, uh, Commissioner Gary Bettman said that uh, they would never honor his contract, so he is not NHL. Uh, he will never be an NHL player. Uh, all of that good stuff. Uh, and now... Um, if they are voiding his contract, expect the NHLPA to then step in uh, and protect him. So yeah, uh, for the context, Mitch Miller um, years ago as a teenager proceeded to multiple, multiple times for many, many years, torture, harass, bully uh, this young kid uh, and made his life absolutely miserable to the point where there are criminal charges on record. Uh, he actually was tried, found guilty. He was drafted by the Arizona Coyotes in 2020. Then this story came out. Everybody uh, did the investigation and found out, hey, you know, this kid had did a bunch of things and has not actually apologized for any of it and doesn't seem like he's learned his lesson. Uh, and the Coyotes quickly were like, all right, we rescind our draft pick. Uh, first overall pick. We don't want it anymore. Uh, and he was out of the NHL until the Bruins signed him, and now here we are. That was a really good summary of it. I had a whole I bunch of notes right here. I'm like, oh, don't need to touch on this. Don't need to touch on this. Hey, yeah, he's got yeah. it. 
and and to kind of speak to anyone listening to our clown podcast rather than just me talking to nick with this a lot of the reaction to a lot of this was just kind of oh he bullied a kid you know when he was 14 years old so what uh i i understand that reaction i get where you're coming from with it but i feel like you have to understand how bad the situation is for this kid uh the Kid's name is Isaiah Myers Crothers. Uh, he happens to be black. Uh, he is also developmentally disabled. So, you know, it takes a really tough guy to go after somebody like that. Uh, he bullied this kid to the point to where he ended up in court for it. That is not a small feat. Uh, he repeatedly punched and kicked this kid. He used the N-word like it was going out of style. Uh, at one point, the thing that got him in court is that he ate candy that they wiped in a urinal. Uh, this is this kid was went through hell at Mitchell's hands here. And for something like to happen with this, you should I'm not saying you should have to be able to completely kiss your career goodbye. There's been a lot of talk about restorative justice in the last week or so. But for something like that to happen, you have to at least show a little bit of humility and regret for something like that. And not just because your current employer is asking you to send somebody a DM on Instagram or something like that. And from what every single person that's looked at this seems to say is that Mitchell Miller has not made that effort in any way, shape, or form. That And that's the thing. You nailed it right there. Because I have seen a lot of that discourse. People doing the, well, he bullied somebody when he was like 14. Everybody makes mistakes. He needs to learn. But it doesn't appear he has learned. And that's where the problem lies. Is that his apology, quote-unquote, wasn't even really an apology. And it really say I did anything wrong. So... That's where the issue lies, is that this was much more than just bullying. This was actual torture. This was actually driving someone, like like you said, he ended up in court for bullying. That is a very hard feat to pull off, and he pulled it off and was found guilty in the court of law for this because of everything. It was an Ohio juvenile court. He was sentenced to 25 hours community service. He had to pay all associated court costs and he had to undergo counseling, uh, which frankly is a reasonable sentence for a 14 year old. Mm -hmm. What is not reasonable is the way that when Mitchell, what's not reasonable is the way Mitchell, when he goes to talk about this now, he tries to make it out to seem like it's a one time incident. And mm-hmm. the mother of Isaiah Myers Crothers uh, went on the record saying that this started happening in the first or second grade. Yeah. Now, right. for something that racially charged to be happening at that age, you got to believe Mitchell Miller's parents really failed him here because yeah. this because because racism on that level is absolutely a learned behavior. So if he was doing something like that, you got to imagine there's one place he was probably learning it from. But beyond that, it's it's not enough to just apologize for the one incident that you ended up in court for. It's not enough to just uh, say something among those lines. Uh, for to, Do you want to see how simple it is? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's role play it for a second. You're a reporter for, for the team I just signed. You asked me about an incident like that. So what's your take on the incident 
that has been brought to light? Well, first and foremost, I have to say how regretfully, truly sorry I am to the family of insert person's name here. Uh, th this is a horrible lapse in judgment on my part. I know that it took place for several years, and uh, I will spend the rest of my life apologizing to this individual for the pain and suffering that I have caused him. Uh, I make sure that I really had a chance to learn and grow from this and maybe even draw some more attention to this. So I have been working with XYZ organization to draw it a little bit more attention to this and really kind of demonstrate some of the negative effects that doing things like this can have with people. Uh, I really stand against bullying. I want to use this opportunity in my career to be able to draw attention to something like this uh, and hopefully show that we all some people can change for the good that uh, we need to work very hard as a society to make sure that this is taken out of our, our daily lives completely off the top of my head and it was bam better than anything he had a professional pr team to help him prepare for yeah that's the other thing is uh whoever his pr team is you gotta fire them um, not, not a good team at all, but yeah, I, it's, that's the thing is there was, you said it right there, no accountability. There's been no accountability. And I've, I've seen some people bring up Danny Heatley, uh, in the process of this of, well, the league didn't blackball Danny Heatley out after he killed somebody. Yeah. But Danny Heatley said what you just said. That he has to live with it. He apologized. You could feel the remorse from him when he spoke about that situation. Yeah. And it's clear that he is living with it and dealing with it. Is trying to be better and actually has regret from it. It does not appear that there is any regret from that. It comes. Yeah. Oh, this is what I need to do to have a career. Then yeah. Sorry. Can I play hockey now? It's like, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that yeah, way. Yeah. And. And to give you an idea of how this all came together and why it's so much worse that the Bruins did this, oh, uh, yeah. the news, yeah, the news came out about this before I want to say twenty twenty draft or was he twenty nineteen? The one where the Coyotes uh, got docked a bunch of picks. That was that was his draft yeah. year, and word got out about it well beforehand, and he was on a ton of teams, no draft list. When the Coyotes drafted this kid, there was an audible gasp at the arena. You could hear the number of people that were shocked that they went through with this. And and they fell back on the excuse, we thought it was a one-time incident. We spoke to the victim's family as we learned a little bit more about it. We're washing our hands of this guy. He was set to go play at the University of North Dakota. Which, hey, they don't need to do an entire history check for everybody that comes to play on their team. They're working with students. I get it. But once they found out about it, they kicked him to the curb. He went back to his USHL team as an overager because they had worked with him previously and he's got to go somewhere. Uh, and then the Bruins just turn around and go, yeah, we'll take a shot at this guy. Like, what are you thinking? I, I Well, okay, so the Bruins thing... I'm happy you you got us back to that. This thing because what one? What are you thinking? Your team's off to a great start. Uh, there was no need for this signing. It caused, in a way, a, a bad ripple effect. And I actually give the Bruins players a lot of credit. Guys like Marchand, guys like Bergeron, uh, who spoke up and said, "No, this is we do not want him." Like 
this this kid has not learned a lesson. This is something that actually has shaken our locker room. We had no idea this was a thing. And that's the other thing with the Bruins. It's a lot of finger pointing. And my oh my is Cam Neely setting everybody up for failure here when I'm sorry. I'm looking at you, Cam. I'm looking at you, Seabass. I see what you did and I see what you're doing. You're setting everybody else up. Oh, I didn't know because it was all the other man, the management team below me that was saying we have our eye on him and we're thinking this and we're thinking that. I never asked them if they checked with the victim's parents uh, and the family, the victim's family, if they had talked to them to find out if it was just one incident or not, Um, which by the way, they didn't. And wow, okay. So again, you know, just ignoring all the things that were already there that we knew prior to Arizona, and then what we knew again, thanks to Arizona, that the Bruins just went, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yep, yeah, yep. It, and Graham Neely's just sitting there like, yeah, you did it, right? Cool. All right, move on. Go. Yeah, and, and it took me all of 10 minutes to dig into the information about how bad this was. It's mm-hmm. on the kids' Wikipedia page, and it was there right after the draft as well. There hasn't been a huge update that was made here to have all the details of these incidents. It's all right there. It's very easy to find. And and I want to get to the to the quotes about it and stuff because I think we can talk about how this entire incident could be a net positive for the NHL. But I want to point out just one other thing real quick. Okay. Uh the fact that it was the Boston Bruins who will never let you forget they were the ones that broke the color barrier with Willie O'Ree were the ones to do this makes the entire thing multiple levels of magnitude worse. I, you know, like I, and I know I did see the Bruins excuse as well was, well, there are a lot of other teams that were thinking about signing him. So we thought we'd, but why did it have to be you? It one, it shouldn't well, be any the, team. The child why level of you? logic behind that entire thought process yeah, of what well, other people are going to do it. We might as well. Yeah, it's it's very. This whole thing has been just. Uh, I think I know what you're going to say though with the po- with the net positive for for the NHL. Like the whole thing has been pretty bad. But I did want. I did think one of the positives was Gary Bettman getting out really quickly and saying, "Yeah, no, we're not honoring this contract. You you gave him a contract, but no, like I'm not approving this, and he'll never be an NHL player." And yeah, I like, I have a few. Taking that few... step was just so whoa. Yeah, and for a rare win for Gary Bettman, who often comes down on the wrong side of the of Everything. issues like this. <laughs> yeah, I, I I have a number of quotes in front of me that I prepared because I felt like reading them in their entirety is a really good way to make sure we're not missing some additional context or something like that. Uh, Bettman's full quote, if you'll allow me, is what I understand and have heard through media. What he did as a 14-year-old is reprehensible, unacceptable. They were free to sign him to play somewhere else. That's another league's issue. But nobody should think at this point he is or may ever be NHL eligible. And the Bruins understand that now. Which just, the, you can picture Gary Bettman saying that in his weird New York accent. And just so, so much of the, this gives off the energy of, I am so furious I had to walk away from what I was doing to go address these idiots. But I did it. I can't believe the Bruins. Uh, I can't do it, Gary Bettman. I'm not even going to try <laughs> 
Yeah, we'll get with Shinsky yeah, on the no, line to do it. Uh, <laughs> well, he's the only one we've never talked to. <laughs> <laughs> but and then the so someone else pointed out something else in an article that stood out to me. Uh, Miller's agent is Usus King, who happens to be black and sits on the NHL Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Like the cognitive dissonance involved here for this entire thing to come to fruition get really hits you home and it's part of what drives you nuts about loving hockey and loving this product the M who uh actually made the signing sounded like he had a gun to his head throughout half of it he said directly quote i'm not going to downplay that this has been a personal and professional struggle i can't categorically tell you this is the absolute right decision and he went on to talk about learning and forgiveness and specifically mentioned that if this had happened to his kid he may not be quite so forgiving but yet willing to sign him and diligence and not do the work to to know it's a bad idea and exactly what you said about sweeney if they were willing to give him a chance then what then we have to look in the mirror and say why wouldn't we be willing to give him a chance to a certain point if someone can make your team better you want to go out and get them but there's a line to cross with something like this yeah the uh, kids hockey skills have never been in question no but but looking through everything that happened with the players actually really warmed your heart. Can I dive into what some of the players had to say about it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, let's start with the captain, Patrice Bergeron. Direct quoting here, for me, I know for myself anyways, in this locker room, we're all about inclusion, diversity, respect. Those are key words and core values we have. We expect guys to wear this jersey to be high character people with integrity and respect that's how they should be acting. So we stand for integrity, inclusion, and diversity. That was the first thing that came out of my mouth. It goes a little against what we are as a culture and as a team for me as a person. But the players stood up and had something to say about it. And, and honestly, could have probably gotten away with just saying no comment. But they didn't do the easy thing. They did the difficult thing because they felt like something like this was important to stand up for. Yeah, and uh, props to them. Uh, super props to them. I, I I actually thought that was really cool for all of them to, to actually say something because you're right. Typically, you get the no comment, no comment, or, you know, toe the company line or whatever, where it's like, well, you know, management, you know, it's out of my hands, you know, not my decision. It's a management thing. And I would assume that they did due process and due diligence. And if they didn't, they'll make things right. You know, like, whatever towing of the line they'd need to do. But yeah, no, you had three guys step up and go, nope, this is, this is garbage. Nope, not happening. And I know that, that, that actually that was part of their mindset as well when they signed him in Boston was, well, if anything, our leadership group of these guys will be able to show him the ropes and he'll learn and he'll be better and he'll continue to grow. Because he said he's grown on this one incident. We're not going to talk to anybody else. And that's when it all came apart, where it was like, no, the people you think are on your side are not. Your, your employers are pissed. Yeah, and, and, and it's just, I, 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 I felt encouraged by the way that they replied to it. And I know they had some comments about him being dropped from the organization. I did not get a chance to read them just yet. Uh, but I, you know, I was, I was encouraged. Yeah, I was as well. Um, all right. 
I guess that'll do it. Um, um, all right. Until next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. I started drinking with me cousins. As far as I can tell, well, we never caused no trouble. In fact, we all worked out quite well. There was me and there was Billy making quite a scene with the beer and the vodka, the whiskey, and then many other things. The last week of October, and we were by the falls in room number 32, right down the kitchen hall. My grandfather told me, it's in your Irish blood, you see, broke down the situation, and here's what's wrong with me. Got nothing left to say It isn't hard to figure out how I ended up this way 